Buenas and half a day. This is a a special uh, a podcast edition. Actually, all all podcasts on the Fanatsu podcast are special, but this one is special because we have a gift uh, a guest who has come from across the sea to come and visit us, and she is just finishing a a crazy week <laughs> of interviews and film screenings and forums and presentations. And so now things are finally winding down, and she's getting a chance to sort of uh, connect with the island and connect to the culture mm-hmm. and so on. Mm-hmm. And so I'm grateful to have uh, to have Mizuki here with me today, um, and to talk to us about the situation in Okinawa. And in addition to me asking her questions, I've told her that she can definitely ask me questions um, because this is where solidarity starts is that mm. it begins in conversations, um, sharing stories, learning together, and then sort of the, the, the enlightenment that you gain from that experience, you take it with you and it affects then the way that you organize and the way that you imagine your future mm. because you now see somebody's struggle as being connected to yours. Mm. And so, uh, so Mizuki, if you could kindly introduce yourself to the audience. Okay, hello, half a day, my name is Mizuki. Nakamura, I am from Tokyo, Japan, but I came here uh, to Guam this time. Actually, this is my second time to um, visit Guam, but this time I came uh, to Guam with the two ladies uh, from Takae in in northern part of Okinawa, um, where um, U.S. military expansion is taking place right now, and they came to Guam for, for the first time and they wanted to share the situation, uh, their situation with you and also they wanted to learn uh, what is going on uh, in Guam in terms of the what they call the relocation of U.S. base burdens on Okinawa to Guam and they wanted to find ways to um, sort of um, develop our solidarity of the two islands and and um, find ways to raise voice together against this um, military expansion. And they uh, went home um, two days ago and after those hectic days, and they were very, very happy to be able to, um, they were very happy to receive such a warm hospitality and welcome from our friends in Guam. And now they're very happy to be able to return something with them uh, to Okinawa, which is a joint statement that they adopted with um, our wonderful friends in Guam. And they are very eager to bring that statement, the voice, the collective voice uh, to the Japanese government. Um, and also they are very eager to uh, share the situation in Guam, especially what's going on in Litexen, uh, with you and uh, with all, with the people in Okinawa. And they actually asked me to um, make the Japanese version of some of the leaflets that you have about the Litexen, the situation of Litexen, so that they can um, make handouts uh, of Japanese and you know give it to the people in their campsite at uh, the sitting tent site uh, in Takae. So oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's the type of see that's the type of thing which I think that you can build upon mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. that if you just um, because I and I'm both of us have had this experience where you travel to another place and you hear stories or somebody comes and visits and you hear their stories mm. and it can be very inspiring in the moment but then it's hard to figure out what you're supposed to do next right once once you have shared the mm-hmm. moment together and once you have seen each other and your experiences what are you supposed to do next mm-hmm. and so that's why it's it's very nice to hear that the that they were interested in taking information from Guam yeah. there because it, it's a sign that 
uh, a deepening connection between mm -hmm. between the islands and the people. Yeah, I I was really happy to see them really motivated and encouraged uh, by the people in Guam, and they were really now they want to take the next step, um, try to do something out of this uh, their experiences on this island. Um, this trip all started in June when um, our mutual friend, you know, Corazon Fabros, mm -hmm. um, who um, came to Okinawa to join this um, conference of the International Women's Network Against Foreign Military Bases. So she um, asked me to take her and also um, two uh, delegates from Guam, um, Becca and Tiara, um, to Takae after the conference, after they finish all the schedule of the conference. So I met there in Naha, uh, in Naha and I took them to Takae and uh, we had a chance to um, to meet with uh, Yukine Ashimine and also Ikko Isa who came to Guam this time. And at that time, uh, one of them, Yukine, she was actually one of the families in Takae who were forced to move out of Takae because of the noise pollution of the he heavy flight training exercises um, and she was very devastated and she was really um, depressed about the situation uh, of um, her situation and she was really trying to find a new I guess perspective or new direction about um, what she can do next then she met you know Corazon and Becca and Tiara and when we talked about um, our situation and exchange our stories she found out that she was not the only one um, Okinawa is not the only one suffering under you know that injustice and that gave her a new perspective like really new motivation she's she said right away I really want to come to Guam mm. and so we started this process we started the planning and of course Becca was a great help and she um, organized everything for us and it was really miracle that you know it only started in June and now we could come to Guam in October so we were very very happy and um, Yukine said um, that she she was saying that she received so much love um, and hospitality and encouragement and energy from the people of Guam that something she has never felt before mm. so now she said she has this um, joint statement mm -hmm. this is her treasure and this is her life new life and she never ever waste this outcome mm. so now she's really motivated to <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh that's beautiful yeah now um it is it is unfortunate that our the islands in okinawa and in the marianas are not more closely connected mm. because the histories are are very similar um especially mm. in terms of militarization and mm. in terms of war and so um can you give some some background on sort of the the issues involving especially um, bases in Okinawa and then why is it that this this beautiful area or actually these beautiful areas in the northern part of Okinawa such as Hinoko and, and Takai, why is it that they are being threatened by US military uh, expansion? Mm. Uh, it all started in 1995 when a 12-year-old girl was uh, local girl, Okinawan girl, was raped by three U.S. Marine soldiers, Marines, and um, and uh, right after that, Okinawan people held a rally and more than 80,000 people got together and raised voice against this um, terrible crime. And um, the Japanese government had to find some ways to respond to their um, huge, you know, outrage, their, their voice. Um, and so the Japanese and U.S. government, they made an agreement in 1996. Uh, it's called SACO Agreement, the agreement between the Japan-U.S. Special Action Committee on Okinawa. And one of the things they decided 
is that in order to re reduce um, base burdens on Okinawa, one of the things they decided is to close uh, Futema Base in um, in Ginoan city of Okinawa and relocate that base to um, the Henoko area in northern part of Okinawa, uh, doing some landfill work and construct massive brand new base. So actually, which is nothing to do with the reduction. But another thing they decided is to um, return about half of the northern training area in northern part of Jap uh, Okinawa um, in the forest of Yambaru. And, but there is also another condition for that in exchange for returning the half of the northern training area in the Yambaru forest, they decided to construct six uh, landing pad area, the helipads, uh, brand new helipads surrounding the residential area of Takae. Takae is very, very small village, small residential community, only 150 people uh, were living there. And it's very isolated um, area. Um, it takes about three hours by driving from Naha, the central city of uh, mainland Okinawa, to go to uh, Takae. So even many people living in Okinawa, they don't know about Takae. They have never heard of the, the name of um, uh, Takae. So it's very isolated area. And it was really, I think it's really difficult for them to recognize mm. the program of Takae because when it comes to Henoko, it's easier to understand because it's a brand new base and um, you have to do this massive landfill work, destroying the coral reef, mm. destroying all the dugong mm. habitat and everything. But in Takae, um, you know, it's, it's, it's about, it comes with the return of the half of the land, half of the northern, the massive, um, you know, the training. Um, area and also the helipad, they're going to construct the helipad within the base. Mm. So I think it's more difficult for, it's it's less obvious for the people to understand the situation of Takai. Oh yes, it, yeah. a similar sort of a, a thing happened in, in Guam with mm. Litexen versus mm. Pogget. Is that Pogget mm. is, is much easier to understand mm. because it was an area where most people just knew of as uh, they barely knew about it mm -hmm. and but it was it was public mm -hmm. and then when the US military threatened it and it was easy to get people interested in it because it was a place that they hadn't heard of before and they were excited and now they were worried about it being taken away mm -hmm. but Latexan was a place where um, many people felt that it already belonged to the U.S. federal government, the Fish I and see. Wildlife, mm -hmm. and that there was family members, families who believed, who say it's their land, they're the landowners, mm -hmm. and then it, it was much more complicated because it was blocked off. You have to drive through a military base to yeah. get there. And so it's already far away in the north, even though Guam is not that large, not even as large as Okinawa, mm -hmm. but it's far away in the north, and it's and then it's behind uh, Anderson Air Force Base, yeah. behind all of these interests of landowners, behind all of these environmental discourses on protecting endangered species. Mm. And then it's hard for people to, to reach out and feel like we should protect that because they already feel like it's not theirs. Mm. So like the, the descendant of those landowners in Litexan, they always have to have the license to get in there? Or? So, in the past, that was one of the reasons why they protested, mm -hmm. was because the military would require people who went down there to um, and to yes to get a pass to go in, mm -hmm. or they would they would block access and say that you could not go down there, or they would say that you had to leave at a certain time because of security or something like that, and so it, it definitely infringed on the rights of the the landowners down there, mm. and then. Um, that was one reason why, about 30 years ago, they started, people started to block access on that road. I'm sure you, because you went to Latexan, yeah. so the road where you, you drive yeah. in and then it starts getting really, <laughs> yeah. really bad. Yeah. And so they blocked the area there to prevent the military mm. from passing through. 
But uh, it became such a, a headache that eventually the the military stopped preventing access there. Mm. There's like information about Retidian in the Japanese travel guide, oh. and uh, yeah, and then they said you know there's like certain times that f maybe like nine o'clock or ten o'clock in the morning till like early evening mm. it, it's open, mm -hmm. but it says it's until. Um, March 20-something, 2017. Mm. Is there any meaning for that date? It, so it, it depends on when the brochure was made. Okay. Because the process was, the process for this military buildups, they take a while and they, so that's why people were very afraid that there would, they would begin construction for the military buildup mm. uh, last month or this month. Yeah, and yeah. And it's being pushed back and so the, one of the one of the most powerful weapons that militaries and governments have is the fact that they can delay things because mm. it is hard for grassroots movements to keep energy because if you just say oh well we're going to take a break now we're going to pause and then if you come back a year later there's only half as many people paying paying attention yeah and so the U.S. military in Guam does that quite effectively. Mm. You, so Pocket was a controversial choice, so you wait a couple years and then you identify Latexan, and then you drag it out. And by this point, people, many people on island, and I'm sure in Okinawa in some ways, wonder, is this still going on? Isn't, is what, because it takes so long and it is hard for them to... It, it is very interesting because people nowadays seem very interested in in watching TV shows or movies or reading your favorite manga, mm. but the things that are happening around you, <laughs> which are affecting your environment, your cultural resources, your, your very safety, people have trouble paying attention to those things for long periods. Mm. And mm. The, I mean, this is the struggle that all, that all community yeah. activists, especially around demilitarization, mm. face is that mm. militaries, in particular the U.S. military is the biggest institution in the world. Mm -hmm. Huge budget, huge resources. If you include soldiers, the US military has millions of employees and yeah. uh, hundreds of millions of dollars every year. Um, and so they have the ability, they, it's, they have the ability to make plans and decide things far in advance, mm -hmm. whereas your grassroots activists, it's hard to mm. it's hard to to support your family or go to school and also fight something that has hundreds of billions of dollars of resources behind it. Mm -hmm. And so, um, mm -hmm. and so in in Okinawa, what is your sense? Because going from 1995 to the the big outburst of public anger over the rape, mm. to then sort of today and where construction is happening in the north, has happened in the north. What is the sense of the energy of the people? Is it, is our people, is our, our, um, are people gaining new energy? Are they willing to keep fighting? Or are people disappearing? Or what is your feeling? Hmm. I believe Okinawan people are now really getting together under their, um, regardless of their differences in terms of like political forces. Um, because now we have a governor um, in Okinawa who is actually a conservative, who identifies himself as a conservative politician and who is actually a member of the ruling Liberal Democratic Party. And uh, But from the conservative political force to progressive force, everybody, almost everyone, is getting together and supporting him right now. And so Okinawa has reached the point that, you know, regardless of political differences, we need to get together um, to, to really, you know, raise voice as a collective, voice as Okinawans and, and, um, against really opposed the construction of Henoko. And one of the reasons is, uh, for that is, I think, really like injustice um, attitude of the Japanese government. Um, it to totally really 
ignores <laughs> Okinawan's voice. Like so many times, election after election, Okinawan people, they elected um, the, um, the candidate who is vocally against the military expansion or you know construction of Henoko base or the deployment of Osprey aircraft. But the Japanese government totally ignores their voice. So now Okinawan people have realized that you know we cannot you know keep fighting with each other. We need to get together against you know the Japanese government's decision um, or you know it, its policy of ignoring um, public will of Okinawa. Yeah, that is. That is one of the interesting things coming from Guam, a place where the majority of the people seem to support the, the military bases that are here, mm. to then uh, a place where the majority of the people don't really support <laughs> mm. the military bases. It's, uh, it's very interesting to see. But I, I think we Japanese have certain responsibility for mm. that because you know, we came to Guam during World War II mm. and we, we invaded and we did terrible things to people in Guam. And after that, you know, the U.S. forces came and they are respected as, mm. you know, the force that liberated uh, the people in Guam. So, um, you know, like, people are really respecting, right, like the mm -hmm. U.S. forces as a someone to liberate them from the Japanese army, so, yeah. <laughs> oh yes, definitely. Yeah. That, was, that was one of the discussion points last night, is mm -hmm. the differences of experiences with World War II and how yeah. Okinawans are shaped in one way and then... Um, exactly. And then yeah. Chamorros are shaped yeah. in a different way by that, because yeah. I mean, if if you're not, for those of you who are listening, if you're not familiar with either Guam history or Okinawan history, both are sites of battles between the Japanese and the United States in World War II. Mm -hmm. Okinawa is receives far more damage with many, many people uh, being killed in the fighting. Um, and, but, and then after that, both Okinawans and Chamorros experience displacement in order to build U.S. military bases. So the, no matter what stories you would hear about Chamorros being grateful for the United States' return, it doesn't change the fact that the United States displaced them, pushed them off their land, or, and that they did not really have the choice to say no and to hold on to the land if they wanted to. And, mm -hmm. and others believed that since the United States had come back and appeared to have saved them, that the U.S. would look out for them and that the U.S. would give them their land back mm -hmm. once the war was over. And so both Okinawa and Guam come out of the war under the United States military control, but with very different opinions about war. Mm. And so one, mm. of the, one of my favorite places to go to in Okinawa is, is way in the south is the, the, Peace, the Peace Museum, way uh, at the bottom of the, <coughs> of the main island. Mm. And... Um, there you see sort of a, you get a sense of what many what most Okinawans felt coming out of the war is that war is terrible mm -hmm. you know war war is something that is the opposite of human we should we sh you should not have war existing in the world and you should and good people should do everything they can to prevent war mm -hmm. to prevent that sort of inhumanity from appearing in the world but then you contrast that then with Chamorros mm -hmm. who feel, who come out of the war feeling that war is bad, but you should be on the side of whoever is strongest. And so wow. the United States is the strongest. They beat the Japanese. They kicked them out. They saved us. And so even though, and, and so mm. war is good as long as we are being used by the right side. Mm. And it's and so that's why then you see. That's why you see Okinawa, Okinawans sort of protesting the bases. Um, to, there's the reversion movement to Japan and so mm. on. And then Chamorros on the opposite hand joined the U.S. military mm. in huge numbers, wanting to serve. Although still at the same time, many families pushing for the return of the land that was taken. Mm. And so. 
So you had been to Guam many years before as part of the... You had been to Guam before as part yeah, of the... Yeah, 2014, as I was... Uh, came here as a... As um, as a crew of the document, this documentary, uh, there's like a director who is shooting about the sympathy budget um. of the Japanese government uh, for the, you know, for the stationing of the U.S. forces in Japan. But we also have providing our tax money for the relocation of mm -hmm. uh, Marines from Okinawa to Guam. So the director wanted to uh, know about the effects of us, you know, prov providing that fund to the to Guam. So we went to, we went to, we came to, we, yeah, we went to the um, Paget, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, we talked to Julian, the lawyer, mm -hmm. and about this expansion relocation plan. Yeah, that was 2014. Yeah, that was something that always surprised me uh, very much, and. This is something that I, I have found very interesting in in Japan and in uh, South Korea, is mm. that the cons the conservatives sometimes that are very right wing, very um, nationalistic. Mm -hmm. They even if they are very much about Japan first or Korea first, a lot of times they are very much about how you should also do whatever America wants. <laughs> I know. <laughs> And so I, I find it, I, and I find it fascinating because when I've been to Okinawa before, um, some of my friends who are there, uh, they or we get criticized in the media by right-wing people, or sometimes mm. we see the, the people in the cars with the speakers that they go around <laughs> yelling things, yelling things and singing like uh, old Japanese war patriotic songs and stuff like that, saying horrible <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> but it always fascinates me because they're trying to build this they're trying they're arguing for this glorious return to Japan and its strength and dominance but then they are arguing for submission to the United States and that you yeah. you should be you should be sort of a a weak a, a weakling under the United States strong powerful we hate China but we will be under the United States. I know. <laughs> I know. They should come with us and protesting in front of the base. I, I really yes, think because, so. <laughs> because, um, and the issue of the relocation money, mm -hmm. how could anyone who calls themselves a Japanese right-wing conservative say that Japanese tax money should go to move a U.S. base out of Japanese, out of the country? Mm-hmm. That's, mm -hmm. a, I, I, I'm ashamed by you conservatives. I'm, I am, I'm embarrassed for you. <laughs> right. Maybe that's why you're so angry. Your family doesn't want to talk to you because you are so <laughs> hypocritical. <laughs> yeah. But, oh, yeah, so wait, talk more about that documentary because that was one thing that was always fascinating to me because oh. it was... For a, I know that for a short period there was a lot of questions many years ago in yes. Japan about that funding and that's why there was a, a pause because the Japanese government was questioning it and the U.S. government was also questioning their funding. Yeah. And then it disappeared for a while. It really disappeared. And now like there are like a few articles about this relocation and also like the... Um, ex yeah, relocation of the Marines from Okinawa to Guam. Only like maybe the local newspaper in Okinawa, uh, Okinawa Times and Ryukyu Shinpo, that'll be it. Nobody mm -hmm. talking about it. Yeah. It's really weird. But um, this, uh, the director of the documentary is uh, a man from the United States who is living in Japan for over 20 years and 30 years. And he, uh, didn't really question about the presence of um, U.S. Um, bases in Japan until he f really um, found out about all the injustice and atrocity the mm. U.S. forces are making in in Iraq, and he started to wonder about you know the presence of U.S. bases um, in Japan, and also he. Um, found out about what we called sympathy budget. Um, mm. uh, the Japanese government is paying, and uh, for the stationing of the U.S. forces in Japan, and we do not have any legal obligation to pay this type of budget. 
Um, and that is why the Japanese government is calling. This is for us to show the sympathy uh, <laughs> for the U.S. forces stationed in Japan. But this covers almost everything for um, the U.S. government to have their forces uh, in Japan from um, from their utility to their, um, you know, like um, entertainment, what do you call it, facilities, mm -hmm. like a movie theater or like gymnasiums or all kinds of stuff that they need for them to, you know, um, station their forces. So he, <laughs> I know. <laughs> so um, he started questioning about this sympathy budget and uh, he started, you know, doing some interviews um, in um, in Japan. And in this process, he realized that we are go also going to pay uh, for the relocation of U.S. Marines from Okinawa to Guam. That is why he wanted to see the impacts, yeah, on this island, Guam. Yeah. <laughs> and what is the name of the director? Uh, Leland Buckley. Buckley. Yeah. So. It is very, very fascinating mm. to think about how, yeah, the, and that is why, I mean, in, in a way that is why memory is, is so important because for your average person today, if a base is somewhere, it must belong there. Mm. It's, it's been there. It, it must belong there. And you cannot remember that most of the bases that the United States has around the world came after war. Yeah. Whether in Iraq and Afghanistan yeah. or whether in mm -hmm. Germany or in, in Europe or in Asia, they came after a war. And so the United States didn't get to sit down and faithfully or genuinely negotiate with countries for those bases. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like uh, negotiating with somebody while you were pointing a gun at them and then saying, you know, if you want your sovereignty back, we get these bases, or if you want to, you know, if you want this to end, we get these bases. And so, um, but that's one reason why uh, having a memory, mm. being able to recall sort of those things and not just assume mm -hmm. that sort of a base a base is there and it should be there because it is there. Mm. When in truth, there's there's so many reasons why there shouldn't be bases in Okinawa. <laughs> yeah. Or in Guam. There's so yeah. many reasons why they should not be there. Mm. And they're very valid and they're very good reasons. As strong as any reason for why they should be there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so, mm. I think, now, wanted to also sort of discuss, because I know that you also have a history in, with uh, uh, progressive politics in Japan as well. Mm -hmm. And so what are, your, what are your thoughts on the, the current administration and oh attempts to, uh, attempts to um, turn Japan into a, a superpower, a fighting superpower like out of an anime or something like that? It seems like Abe really wants to sort of be the the hero of a of a of an anime where Japanese forces go and invade countries around the world and, you and think save so? the world. <laughs> right. oh. oh my gosh, he's so crazy! And we just had this election uh, on October the twenty second. He won again. Mm -hmm. It's just so. I'm so devastated, and <laughs> I don't know what to say about Japanese politics anymore. But he really wants to change our constitution. He really, it's like really his ultimate dream mm -hmm. um, to change his the, the constitution of Japan, and we shouldn't do it. It's like our pledge, um, and because of this pledge, we were able to return to the international community, international politics after the World War II. And so it's our promise to all those countries who we, you know, attacked to and invaded during mm -hmm. World War II. So we should never change this constitution, but oh my gosh, for some reason he has to destroy that. And But he has been trying so hard to revise the, this constitution for almost 10 years, but he every time he came up with the new tactic, he has he always lost this battle. So now 
he come up with this he came up with new tactic and I don't know now he has the closest chance ever to to change it but yeah yes it was it's very um it's it is very unfortunate because in the past 10 years or so um Chamorro activists look to Japanese and Okinawan activists for mm. in, or for inspiration mm. because <clears throat> because uh, 10 years ago for example there was not a lot of uh, organizing around these issues the way there is now there was there was people who were very much against militarization and against military buildup for decolonization but then those of us who traveled to Japan or Okinawa and met with groups um, protest groups and so on, peace groups, uh, we were always amazed to see that there was a significant amount of people in Japan who believed in peace. Mm. Because in, in Guam, it's very hard to find people who believe in peace mm. in that same way. Mm. Now, there's more and more, it's more and more common, but in 2003, for example, when mm. the United States invaded Iraq, mm -hmm. There was only one protest on Guam about that, and it was it wasn't even a protest. It was some Catholic nuns who organized their students to go and stand with candles mm. and just pray for mm. peace. Oh. And so that's why uh, it is unfortunate then to see the shift in Japan moving away from a a commitment to peace mm -hmm. and then trying to move into trying to regain its uh, pre-World War II uh, nostalgia, its, its glory. Mm. When I was, uh, I was in Tokyo two years ago, mm -hmm. two years ago, and I, and I got to visit the, I think it's called the Yas, Yaskuni Shrine. Oh, yes. <laughs> I got to visit <laughs> that. And, and the wife of Abe had been there uh, a couple months or a couple weeks before I went there. Okay. She had uh, given a gift for the, okay. the soldiers' spirits there and so on. And it was um, because I had just heard about this shrine that it was controversial and, and so on. And when I went there, I could definitely see why it was so controversial because yeah. it's, it is attempting to preserve the pre-World War II propaganda mm -hmm. and pre-World War II aggressive, aggress, aggression and pre-World War II just lack of morality. <laughs> just mm. try to preserve in a nice little museum and shrine. You, you also went into the museum? Oh yes. Oh, okay. All of those, all of those <laughs> things which said which people said made Japan great in the 1930s and the mm. 1920s yeah. but which eventually Japan looked back and said this was not good we did we should not have done this this was wrong mm. have you been to that shrine oh or? my gosh yes <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh it's really really crazy museum and oh my gosh yeah but um yeah um, you know, like, um, one of the things that I think really shows the, um, the attitude of the Abbey cabinet is that, um, um, the latest Nobel Peace Prize, uh, um, was given to the, um, ICANN, International Campaign, um, oh, yes. against, um, ICANN, what? I guess that's, I forgot, but like the international campaign for the abolition of nuclear weapons mm -hmm. and because of the adoption of the um, nuclear prohibition treaty and because of its effort of this international campaign um, to make it happen, it got a Nobel Peace Prize, right? Mm -hmm. And before that, some um, Japanese descent who is a British citizen received a literature prize, Nobel Literature Prize, and our spokesperson of the Japanese government, Chief Cabinet Secretary Suga, uh, at the press conference, he praised uh, this um, writer um, for, you know, being able to receive uh, that kind of, you know, special prize. But uh, when it comes to ICANN, he didn't say anything about mm. it. He didn't say... You know, I think he even said that we are not in position to make any statement or remarks about this 
mm. prize, you know, given to this organization. And it's <laughs> really, <laughs> yeah, because, you know, the Japanese government is one of the countries who didn't even participate in this negotiation process of the Nuclear Prohibition Treaty. And it didn't even take part in the voting process. So, um, but all the, of course, uh, Hibakusha, the survivors of nuclear weapons, went over to the United Nations, and the NGOs went over there and tried to, you know, send mm -hmm. our voice of Japanese citizens of, you know, no nuclear weapons, no, no more Hiroshima, no more Nagasaki, to, um, to the United Nations. So it was really them to, you know, citizens, grassroots people to bring our voice to the United Nations. But like the Japanese government did not even want to take part in this process. And so it's really, it's, it's so crazy. Like he, they didn't even want to make any comments about, you know, this amazing achievement that, you know, um, and also many, you know, organizations um, are taking part in this, you know, ICANN, the international campaign, and of course Hibakusha, the survivors, but the Japanese government didn't want to make any comments about that. It's just really crazy, yeah. It's, I'm, and so for, for those of you listening who, because there is, it is very common, for example, for people who are attached to the United States to look at the Japanese example and say the Japanese don't want to deal with their history, right? That they don't, they change the textbooks to erase the past and sort mm -hmm. of they, they do all of these things. And there is truth to that. But as you can see in the United States with the election of Donald Trump <laughs> mm. and so on, the United States also does not want to deal with its past. Mm. As you see with the rise of white supremacy, white supremacists and Nazis feeling like they can just walk out in public and, and, and spew their hate, the United States also does not, has trouble dealing with a lot of its history. And nuclear weapons is one of those things. The United States has, has directly endangered and harmed more people than anyone else with its nuclear weapons. Much is made about the threat of North Korea having a nuclear weapon, but the United States has hurt its own citizens with nuclear testing. Mm. And that includes people across the United States who are near testing areas. It includes uh, sol uh, soldiers and veterans who are around testing in the Marshall Islands, the people of the Marshall Islands, and of course the people in Japan, in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And so, I always have to remind people about mm. that because it is very easy to look at the Japanese, especially in Guam, because the Japanese government hasn't uh, formally apologized for uh, mm -hmm. what happened to the Chamorro people during mm -hmm. World War II. Mm -hmm. I like the I like what the sometimes the consulate will say is that there is regret over what happened, and regret is that's a horrible way to say I'm sorry or <laughs> apologize. Mm -hmm. It's like if you punch somebody in the face and you say I regret that your face was hurt. <laughs> If you kick somebody in the stomach, I regret that your stomach hurts. <laughs> and so it's it's definitely does definitely doesn't make anybody feel better. Mm. But so we do just have to remember though that even if Japan struggles, but the United States is a country which mm. does not ever want to deal with its past and has trouble dealing with its present. So um, mm. last night we were. And Mizuki, thank you for coming and attending the oh, yeah. report back for oh, Independent yes. Guahan and United Nations. Mm -hmm. And so it was a great, the discussion around that is all about how the United States, which is a country which is supposed to stand for things such as freedom, liberty, democracy, and so on, has colonies mm. and, and doesn't mm. seem to care about mm. that sort of thing and trying to remind them about the need to live up to their own ideals. Mm. And so, what were your thoughts? What were your thoughts, uh, Mizuki, on the, on the presentation yesterday from the, uh, about the trip to the United Nations? Um, well, I realized that, you know, uh, throughout this trip, I have, we have been really, reminded many times that we don't know about Guam. You know, mm -hmm. Japanese people don't really 
know about Guam. We see Guam as a tourist destination. That's it. It's just blue sky, blue ocean, and shopping, and big hotel, and that's it. And <laughs> you know, even though we were deeply, um, we had caused great deal uh, on this island uh, from the World War II, and also we have this really twisted development. We have caused really twisted development of tourism on this island. We shaped sort of like mm. this the develop that the, you know that um, the development of the tourist industry on this island. So we keep taking advantage of this island, and but we don't know anything about what you have been going through because of that, and. Most of the people come to, you know, Guam as a tourist from Japan. They just see, they, I think a lot of people think Guam as, as part of the United States. And, you know, they, they come here because they want to enjoy the environment or like atmosphere of America, you know, English and, you know, all those American style environment. But they don't really do not go deeply into what is really going on in Guam, like the culture and history and tradition and the local people, even though we have, you know, we are uh, one of the, we, are, we have, um, have a huge responsibility, I believe, in terms of what you have to go through right now. So this, um, the process that you have, like the, the petitioning the United Nations for the, to achieve the independence, I realized that we also need to know, like the Japanese, as Japanese, uh, mm. and uh, definitely something that I need to bring back to Japan. And I was really fascinated by one of the things that you were talking about last night, about like the military like expansion um, of military on this island um, has affected um, your process of uh -huh. your petition in the United Nations. So that's one of the things I wanted to hear more about. Uh -huh. So yeah. it's, you could, um, so <coughs> Guam is, Guam is not, uh, it was not a traditional colony. Mm -hmm. So if, if you think about, um, when the when even when the Japanese expanded into the Pacific and the Marianas and mm. Micronesia, it was part uh, strategic but part economic. Japanese companies came to make money to grow sugar and so on. Mm. But Guam was taken primarily because of its location. There was never any economic interest by the Spanish or by the United States or by the Japanese. Okay. Now, because of this, it is a military colony. Mm. Its its value is its military uh, strategic uh, possibilities. That's what's important about it. Mm. And because of that, those are always the things that are the most, the the biggest, the most secretive, the most important, right? Because the government can can uh, violate your rights in the name of national security. The government can lie to you in the name of national security, and so. Strategic value is is difficult because it's it's this thing which sucks the life out of it, and mm. then all that's left is the strategic value. You're not supposed to ask questions. You're not supposed to change anything. It's too important to change anything. Mm. And so, if we see what happened to the other islands around Guam mm -hmm. in Micronesia, they were formerly under Japan. Then they became the U.S. Trust Territory, mm. and. They were strategically important to the United States, but not as important as Guam. And so the United States sat down and negotiated with them and let them pick, in some ways, what they wanted next politically. Guam never had the same chance. Mm. Um, Guam has gone through certain small things, but the United States has never, in the same way as it did with the other islands, really sat down and actually negotiated. Um, and so, this is one of the reasons why militarization is so difficult. It doesn't only uh, take resources. It doesn't only take the land. It doesn't only re re uh, end up with people getting hurt, people getting wounded, and so on. 
but it takes away your future because the United States now feels you are the tip of our spear, you are a weapon, we need you against North Korea, against China, against Russia, we can't let you go. Mm. So in the case of Guam, there's the freedom, democracy, liberty, it doesn't matter because we need you for our strategic, mm. our strategic purposes. And then the United Nations has been very clear that the United States and other countries don't, you should not do this because then you will never let it go. Mm -hmm. If you think about it, the more money that you, if you, if you stole something, like if you, if you stole a house from somebody and then you fix up the windows and you add an extension to the house and you, you put a new TV in there, the more you put into the house, the less likely you are to give the house back. Because you're like, what I put, I, I changed so much stuff. I, I put in all this nice stuff. I can't give it back. It's too valuable now to me. And that's why you're not supposed to do that with your colonies. Is because you, the more military you put in, the more important it is, the more money you invest, the more you can't let it go, the more you will not treat the people fairly. Mm. And so, and one, and then another reason which is very frightening is because if you militarize an island or a, a territory, even if the people become independent, mm. they will still, people around them will still remember that they were America's weapon. That America used this island to harass them or to pressure them or to frighten them. And it means then that you may have to deal with that legacy. Mm. That you may, your people maybe didn't want like, who on Guam really wants to fight North Korea? Who on Guam really wants to fight China mm. or Russia? But the United States certainly has no qualms about using Guam to threaten mm. or to pressure those countries. Mm. And even if the United States was to pull out, we would live with the legacy of threatening those countries, and maybe it would affect our relations with them. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's one reason why you... It's not even about, well... Like, a, like the threats now, it's what happens in the future. Mm -hmm. if, if, if somebody has used you to threaten others for so long, those memories don't go away. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm. And so those are some of the issues sort of in, mm. involved there. And, but unfortunately, the United Nations cannot stop, <coughs> cannot stop the United States. Right, that's what you were saying last night. If the, yeah. if the United Nations could stop countries from doing certain things, then the world would be a very different place. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because the majority of the countries in the world tend to agree on certain things that they don't, there really shouldn't be more nuclear weapons. Mm. They agree that we really need to do something about climate change, that we really need to do this or do that. But the big countries <laughs> mm. tend, to, tend to not let the United Nations sort of, yeah, they tend to not allow stuff like that to happen. Mm. What are, like, because you were saying that when you started this process, when you uh, got involved in this process 13 years ago, you were confronted by this uh, Marine veteran, right? A Chamorro, yeah. He was a Chamorro, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what about, like, the people's uh, opinion right now, like, average, how do I say this, like, awareness of the people? Do they still it's, get emotional, or? Oh, people still get emotional, mm -hmm. but, um... It's changed, and it's really nice that it's changed. Mm -hmm. um, because, as so, just to, to give background, the I first was interested in these issues of demilitarization and decolonization, maybe about fifteen or sixteen years ago. Mm -hmm. And when I was a, a, a graduate student here, I did interviews with activists and mm -hmm. with older Chamorros, talking to them. But then the first time that I ever really spoke publicly about any of these things was on Guam in 2004. Mm. And I was writing a master's thesis and I decided to present some on my master's thesis. And part of it questioned the idea that the, the U.S. liberated Guam in World War II. Mm. And so mm. after that presentation, which was at uh, uh, the Aganya Shopping Center here on Guam, mm -hmm. a Chamorro man who was a retired Marine. He came up to me with his wife pulling mm -hmm. his arm, trying to stop him. And he basically yelled at me and said he was going to break my face. He appeared to be drunk, possibly. 
but he was uh, he was very aggressive, and I, you know I was I was quite scared. Mm-hmm. Um, but so so that was thirteen years ago, mm-hmm. and one of the reasons why I, I keep in this movement is because I can also feel the way that things are changing, mm. and so maybe eleven or. 12 years after that, mm-hmm. that same old man came up to me oh. later and I, it was at the same shopping center <laughs> <laughs> and he came up to me and he, you know, and I was, I was, I was a little bit afraid. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if he would remember who I was or if he had threatened me, but he came up to me and then he shook my, he shook my hand and he thanked me for what I was doing. And then I sat with him for a little while and he talked to me about his experiences and he did not remember and I didn't remind him that he had threatened mm. me at all. Mm. It was good not to relive that. But, mm. um, but he, ex- he explained why he thought that what I was doing now was, was important or good. And a mm. lot of it had to do with him being a veteran and him feeling like the United States had taken him for granted and was not giving him the care mm. and the treatment and the benefits that he was promised. Mm. Because, you know, in Guam, the United States spends per capita the least to, to help the veterans here, even though Guam has per capita the most veterans of anywhere in the United States. Oh, my God. And so that experience had made him question a lot about the United States. And so at one point, 13 years ago, he saw me as the enemy, mm. as somebody who was challenging him, the country that he had served for, Mm. his identity. But then 11, 12 years after that, he feels a kinship with me because he went through his own process of questioning a lot of those things. Mm. Wow. And so that's and so that's why it's it's good to stick around because you (laughs) you will see if you keep working you will see the society change Mm. you will Mm. and you can and it 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 makes me feel good like those types of experiences always make me feel a lot better and Mm. more hopeful Mm. and i also um see you know a lot of young people Mm. joining your movement your campaign (laughs) it's really encouraging to see that I wish I could see more like that in Japan (laughs) because like in Okinawa as you can tell you know like the older generation they're at the front line of (laughs) of the protest so yeah and it's really nice to have all those technologies you know brought by young people like you have podcast and Mm -hmm. really amazing logos of Mm. each campaign and everything yeah it's really nice yeah I definitely think that because in a way, uh, okay, as you mentioned, Okinawa and Guam are on different sides of it. Mm. Because Okinawa has a lot of elders and it doesn't have as many youth as it should. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Guam, a lot of it is younger people that are interested or active and, and that less youth. That is so nice. But yeah, young people vote for Abe. Like most, of, like maybe 40% of the voters, young voters, they support um, Liberal Democratic Party. So we're going to seriously have to come up with some campaign for them. But must be that it's the Japanese educational system. Probably, yes. It's, it, it, it's so bad on Japanese history. Yeah, we are trained not to question, probably. Oh. Yeah. But so I, I want to thank you for this conversation. Um, oh, thank you. Is, can I ask one, <laughs> one oh, yes. more question? Oh, yes, you definitely yes. can. Um, I really want to like organize this like alternative tour instead of like you know like a, a conventional commercial tour for like Japanese tourists. I want to offer like some alternative mm-hmm. tour for them to come to Guam and um, like more chance for them to interact with the local people and learn about culture and history and tradition. Um, is there any like recommendation that you can recommend <laughs> me like in terms of, of like where to visit or? Oh yes. Yeah. There's, um, well, I know that one company, I don't know if they still do it, but one of the tour companies here did offer a, a real Guam tour or something oh. like that. and. And I'm I'm trying to remember, but it, the the owner of that company may be Okinawan. Mm. 
and so I can I can Perfect. give you his information after. But so uh, what he would do is he would take Japanese tourists to sites of massacres during World War Two, mm. and so that is I mean that that is one thing to include. But of course you would definitely want to make I think what would be what would be very nice is something which talked about the the, the Japanese connections to Guam, mm. um, but in, in a critical way. Mm. And so, for example, part of that then is connecting Guam and Okinawa as having similar experiences and that, in a way, the Japanese and the United States have both taken advantage of Guam and Okinawa, mm -hmm. sort of mm. um, using the places to put their bases and so on. Um, and also uh, not treating the people with respect, discriminating against them, and yeah. and so on. Um, so I think that would be important too. But then just talk about the, the the historical connections, and then the responsibility. I really like what you said about responsibility. Mm -hmm. Is that your tour should be about giving a Japanese person the, a feeling of responsibility? Yeah. And it doesn't have to be that that they sort of leave their life behind and then they move to Guam and then they they, they block a military <laughs> gate to, to protect the Texan. But you can always hope that somebody might want to do that. Yeah, of course, yeah. But uh, but it's just because it, it starts with the solidarity. Um, it really gets strong when it is it is a feeling that goes with you everywhere. When it's not a mm. conscious thing. Where you have to be, you have to remember, and you have to be reminded. But when it is a feeling, so that when you see this, you think back, and Guam is there, or mm -hmm. Okinawa is there, and you don't have to remember it, but you can feel it. And and so a a tour like that would be very and because we we get those feelings, like we get those feelings in other ways, but they're usually not critical. Like, you're a Jap like you said, a Japanese person comes to Guam and they feel America. Mm -hmm. And then they go back and they just make assumptions based on those feelings that this is America, this is the United States. And so therefore you can put bases there, it's all fine. Or I can go there to enjoy the United States. And yeah. And so, but a tour like that which would give a Japanese person, your average Japanese person, uh, a different way of connecting to the island and mm -hmm. just this feeling of responsibility. It, it, I, I would I would definitely support that. Oh, cool, yeah. Got to go to, there's places, you know, mm. got to go to the bases. and then, mm -hmm. So a lot of it would be World War II history. Yeah. But then um, you could also have certain landmarks like the, the Peace Memorial in Jigo. And the Peace Memorial in Jigo is right next to a massacre site. Mm-hmm. Uh, the peace memorial is above the area where the the last command post for the Japanese mm. in Guam was. Mm. <clears throat> but you can also take it further by mm. also looking at because I liked what you said that where you didn't only talk about World War II, but that Japanese also shaped the island in terms of tourism mm -hmm. in the seventies and the eighties and the nineties and up until today. Mm -hmm. And so. So that would also be uh, that would also be uh, interesting to to find out about is to is to look at uh, to look at the tourism industry and then get also Japanese people to think about it. Yeah. Ethical tourists. Mm -hmm. That's why I love it when when people like you visit from Japan because it's much nicer than your average Japanese tourist mm -hmm. who wants the the big hotel, the good shopping, mm -hmm. the, the the big food. The mm -hmm. blue sky, and you don't need all that stuff. Like lo it's it's not necessary for local people. It's only for tourists. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. And so, but because for example, if you go down into Tuman, mm. you can uh, you can do the usual touristy stuff. But mm. um, it would also be good to to look at representations or even. One of the fascinating things is in Tuman, in some of the hotels, you will find an area where they will be a memorial for ancient Chamorros. Mm. And the reason that they're there is because when they were building the hotels, they destroyed a lot of artifacts mm -hmm. and human remains, mm -hmm. many of which were from ancient times. Mm. And so some of the hotels made little markers. Oh. 
But a lot of what they found, they just destroyed. They did not even, and so, because everyone was making money and even the local government didn't want to upset any companies that were coming in, and so they relaxed the rules on historic preservation. And um, so even those sorts of things mm. definitely come out too. Mm. Is there any place that, uh, um, you know, Japanese people can come and buy like really locally produced things so, because Japanese people like to buy like souvenirs for them. Oh, it's, it's normal. <laughs> it's very normal. I believe you went to the Sagan Koturan Shimura today or? Mm -mm. Oh, you did not go there. Mm -mm. It's on the hill overlooking Tumon. Mm -mm. Oh, that is a very good place to start. Oh, okay. There, there are several places where you can find uh, stuff mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. But we can definitely talk more yeah. about, about this uh, because, yes, that's the type of tourists that, mm -hmm. that places need is, yeah. is you do not want, the worst thing is to have tourists who go to a place to get away from their life and to not think Mm -hmm. and to feel like everyone is supposed to serve them and they're supposed to get their <laughs> their fantasy or whatever. Though they, that's why most places that have lots of tourists, they hate tourists because well, mm. with Japanese tourists it's a little bit different because people, most people that work in the tourism industry say Japanese tourists are quite polite mm. compared to U.S. tourists, mm. white American tourists, mm. Chi mainland Chinese tourists mm. or Korean tourists. <laughs> but, but at the same time though, it's, that's one of the horrible things about uh, being a tourist is that you go to a place not to learn about the place, not to care about the place, but to have your needs met, mm. to have your fantasies fulfilled. And though that, that perpetuates a lot of terrible things. And so the more ethical and the more conscious the tourism can be, the better. Because if you go to a place and if you have your good memories there, your connection should be a lot more than just a, a, a magnet on your refrigerator or a postcard <laughs> right. or chocolates, yeah. stuff like that. So it will be very cool to see what you can come up with. Thank you. That will be my next project. <laughs> and so. Now, thank you so much again for, for joining me today. Do you have a final message for, um, for the listeners to the Fanatsu podcast, uh, for people in Guam or elsewhere in the world? Well, uh, I'd like to thank uh, all the uh, friends in Guam who um, welcome us uh, this time with the ladies from Takae, and they were very, very happy to be able to connect with you, and they continue to work with you. They continue to learn from you. And they're hoping to raise voice together with you. So hopefully, uh, I'm hoping to come back to Guam with um, with them. And you are always welcome to Okinawa. And I personally live in Tokyo, so I um, you always welcome to come to Tokyo. So we're hoping to be connected with you. Yeah. Thank you very much. ニフェデブルありがとうございました。ニフェデブルありがとうございました。ニフェデブルありがとうございました。ニフェデブルありがとうございました。ニフェデブルありがとうございました。ニフェデブルありがとうございました。ニフェデブルありがとうございました。ニ